Hi folks, this is Ron Longwell. You're about to listen to an episode of Jesus Society Rewind, a previously recorded Blast from the Past episode. I republish these episodes occasionally when I can't do an episode because of professional commitments, vacations, or because something has happened that make them newly relevant. In this case, as we get close to Easter Sunday, I thought I would repost the episode that you're about to hear. I did this in 2020 last year to talk about uh, what really happened at the crucifixion. I hope you find it helpful today. friends, I'm Ron Longwell, and I'm glad you're here today for uh, episode 9 of the uh, Jesus Society podcast, a conversation exploring relationship, renewal, and purpose in the kingdom of God. So uh, today, so we've been, we've been talking uh, about the story of the Bible, and we started with the premise that God's goal in creation and, and everything that follows is to draw people into fellowship with himself so that they could experience his love in the fullest way possible. Uh, we talked about, um, we, we started tracing the, the contours of the Old Testament to see kind of how the big pieces of, of the story uh, fit within that overarching goal. And we've now arrived in the New Testament where Jesus announces, uh, as we talked about last week, that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. We talked last week about what the kingdom is, uh, a new society in the world, a Jesus society, in which God's redeemed people will function as agents of blessing uh, in the world, demonstrating what life with God looks like and how it impacts the way that we treat one another and, and serving as what Paul will call ministers of reconciliation um, and inviting other people into that into that community, into that society, into that relationship with God and with others that is, that is kingdom-focused, right? But there's a piece of all this that we haven't talked about. And um, we've arrived at the point where we need to talk about it. And that is the subject of um, atonement and Jesus' death on the cross, and the reason that I've waited until now to talk about this is because it is it is essential, in my opinion, that we that we see the cross in light of God's intent and activity in His created world in the Old Testament. Okay, um, because the the gospel, and we and we've got to see this and we got to remember this, is not just about Jesus' death. Okay. Uh, Paul says clearly in 1 Corinthians 15, in, in what is perhaps the clearest description of the gospel in Scripture, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that phrase, according to the Scriptures, means a whole lot more than just that the Old Testament foretold Jesus' death on the cross, or that we can find a few proof texts in the Old Testament that, that talk about or that, or that um, predict, if you will, Jesus' death on the cross, okay? The gospel is that Jesus' death on the cross is the culmination 
of Israel's story. And we just can't treat it as something that is unconnected with the story of Israel in the Old Testament. Um, The story of Israel or the story of the Bible has five essential acts, uh, if you will, um, three of which are in the Old Testament, uh, two, two are in the New. And those five are creation, covenant, exile, restoration, and new creation. Okay, so, so what I want to talk about today is the idea of atonement and Jesus' death on the cross, what it was, what it wasn't, and what it means for us. Okay, so I want to start by uh, saying a few things uh, to kind of set the, f- the, the, the frame of the discussion before we get into what Jesus' death on the cross actually means. And we have to start, I think, by acknowledging that for many, for many Christians, when they think about the death of Jesus, they think about their own personal story. So I'm a sinner and Jesus died for me so that when I die, I can go to heaven. And while that may be a decent place to start, it's not at all a good place to stop because in the New Testament, the, the death of Jesus is, is really the moment when history changes. Okay. Now, on the night after Jesus was crucified, no one, none of the apostles were sitting around thinking, wow, history just changed. Instead, they were probably thinking, well, I guess Jesus wasn't who we thought he was, and maybe we're going to be next. But a few days later, after Jesus was raised from the dead, they very quickly came around to the view that something happened when Jesus died, and the world was now a very, very different place. And that meant that they now had to be part of 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 a mission, which was about implementing this extraordinary event that had just taken place. In fact, the New Testament, as N.T. Wright says, is, is an explosive document trying from many angles to come to grips with all that. Okay, And by the way, if you want to read a really, really good book about all of this, I highly recommend uh, N.T. Wright's book, The Day the Revolution Began, um, which is about the, the meaning of Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, The book came out in 2016, and uh, I will put a link in the show notes today for it. Uh, A lot of what we're going to be talking about here, for me, uh, grows out of that book, okay? Uh, So I highly recommend it. Okay, part of the difficulty with all this is that in many churches, the idea of atonement is is hooked into the idea that we're going to get to go to heaven when we die. And that's kind of the end of it. But what I want us to see is that the New Testament idea is that God intends to make a new creation, uh, a new heavens and and a new earth with us as renewed human beings. And and if I just dropped a bomb on you with that that statement, um, we're not going to dig deep into that today, but I promise sometime down the road here we'll come back and, and unpack that a little bit. Um, but we need, to see, we need to see this in light of, of God's uh, purpose being more than that we get to go to heaven when we die, okay? 
Um, one of the great statements about the meaning of the cross is in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, which says that the Lamb, which is Jesus, the Lamb was slain, and He purchased people for God by His blood from every tribe and language and people and nation, and He made them a kingdom and priests to our God. In other words, we are redeemed not just to hang around being saved and waiting to go to heaven when we die, but to be renewed human beings with renewed human vocations and a renewed agenda, okay? And if you, and if you really understand that, and then you start thinking back from that into all the other things that the New Testament says about the cross, things start to look a little bit different, than the way many of us were taught to think um, in the Gospels. And we're, and we're not going to dig deep into all this um, because we could talk literally for weeks um, just about the cru- crucifixion and, and all the little things in the New Testament that, that, that give us insight to that. I, can't, I just can't do that on a, on a podcast. Um, but in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are telling us that Jesus launched the reign of God, the kingdom of God, God's saving sovereign rule on earth as in heaven. And it wasn't just about Jesus moving from town to town, healing people and eating with outcasts and those sorts of things, although he did all that stuff to kind of show the heart of God and where the kingdom is going and what it's supposed to look like. But his death is actually the kingdom-bringing moment, okay? Uh, in the Gospels, the death of Jesus and the coming of, king, of the kingdom are absolutely joined at the hip. And the problem is that we have often separated those two things, right? Which is a sign that we haven't quite got it all figured out, okay? So, and coffee. <sighs> coffee, good, good. Okay, the New Testament also makes it clear that the death of Jesus uh, really did win the victory of God over the dark forces of sin and, and corruption and death. But the way that was achieved was through de- Jesus dying on behalf of and in the place of sinners. Okay, In other words, it is substitutionary, as we've always said, but it is in the service of Christ winning the victory over the powers of darkness. And, and to see how those all fit together, you have to kind of go back very carefully and read some of the texts, okay? Um, the Gospels of John and Mark are, are very clear about this. Uh, when we start to read the Gospels like, like that, and then we come to Paul, we see that Paul gives us a very clear vision of what we might call penal substitution, um, which is a, a big scholar word, right, a term, but it is in the service of new creation. So in the New Testament, Jesus' death is linked to both winning the victory over the the principalities and powers of darkness and to the beginning of of new creation. Okay? So um, this is probably a good time to talk about the idea of Jesus taking the the punishment that we deserved. Excuse me. And we have, to, we have to be very careful about how we talk about that. Sorry, got a frog in my throat. 
Okay. Um, we have to be very, very careful about how we talk about this because we can we can talk about all this in ways that are that can, that can end up being pretty damaging and can lead people to some really flawed and and even hurtful, if I can say it that way, conclusions uh, about all this. Um, I, I will just tell you um, that for a lot of young people, when they hear us talking about Jesus taking the punishment that we deserve, what they hear sometimes is that there is this big angry God who is very upset with us all and he's got a big stick and he's about to lash out. But, but thankfully, his own son at the last minute stands in between us and God and he takes the beating for us. And somehow that makes it all right and whew, we all get off. And sadly, they think that that's what the gospel is. Uh, sorry, just bang my microphone. Um, they think that's what the gospel is, and, and they're struggling to know whether they want to believe that or not. And I want to say that if that is what people are hearing, then we have got some serious work to do. And I know that's what some people are hearing. Um, and if that's what they're hearing, we got some work to do. Because we have taken John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. And what some people have heard is, For God so hated the world that he killed his only Son. And the problem is that when you say that in a world where there is child abuse and domestic violence and things like that, some people think when they hear that, yeah, I, I know that, I know that kind of God, and I hate him. And the whole thing goes terribly, terribly wrong, okay? So we've got to be really, really careful about how we talk about all this, because, because um, the, the message of the Bible is the one that we want to present, and, and what, what I've just described is not at all the message of the Bible, okay? The truth of all this is that what happens on the cross is the sovereign act of love on behalf of the Father himself. Um, the death of Jesus reveals the love of God. Paul says in Romans 5.8 that God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Jesus the Messiah died for us. Now, for that to work, of course, you need a you, you really need a pretty tight nexus between the Father and the Son, God and Jesus, because because it makes no sense for God to say, "I love you so much that I'm sending somebody else to do the dirty work," right? As opposed to saying, "I love you so much I'm coming to do it myself." Okay? So there's a, there's a strong Trinitarian theology built into the New Testament at, at, at just this point. And we have to see that, that, that Father and Son are on the same page here, okay? Uh, this beautiful community of love that we, that we started all this with back in episode two, Father, Son, and Spirit, that, that community of, of love cooked up this plan together. 
to redeem man. Okay? This wasn't just God the Father ordering a, a reluctant son, you go out there and you take all this beating and punishment and you, right? They were all in this together. This was their idea. Okay? Jesus, Jesus did this willingly. He volunteered for the job. Okay? Um, so, so they're together. So we, so we really have to see that and understand that, that the crucifixion is an act of love and it demonstrates God's love. Okay? So what I want to say is that in the New Testament, the result of the death of Jesus isn't simply, well, I was really sinful, but now, thankfully, somebody's taken my punishment, and now I get to go to heaven when I die. I think that really misunderstands sin. And we talked about that a bit in the episode about creation and chaos. I think that was episode three, maybe, Um but sin is, sin is not just about morals. And don't misunderstand me. Morals matter, okay? Sin is important, and I'm certainly not saying that it isn't. But sin is not just about not following the rules, okay? Sin is a, is a failure, you know? Um, we talked about, um, uh, back in episode three, if, if it was episode three, um, we talked about how I love archery, and um, archery is, a, is about hitting the target. When you, when you try to do everything right and you miss the target, that's kind of the idea. Missing the mark is kind of the idea of sin. Sin is a missing the mark. It's a failure rather than the breaking of rules. It is a failure to be who God made us to be and, and to reflect his image. Okay, And whenever we're tempted to sin... What is actually happening is that there's something that we're supposed to be doing or being um, in whatever situation we're in that will that will honor God in the in the world, um, in, in our family, uh, in our own lives. And sin draws us away from that and presents us with a cheap alternative, which we can rightly call an idol. And when we worship these idols, um, which we all do uh, to a greater or lesser extent, um, whether it's money or, or, or power or, or sex or, or whatever. Um, and, of course, repentance is a, is a, a way of turning away from, from these idols, okay? But, but when we give in to these idols, we give them power over us in exactly the, the same way that we see Adam and Eve giving power to the serpent in the garden, Okay, and that power causes us to sin in various ways, deep down in in our emotions, uh, our imagination, as well as our actions. And every time we sin, we are increasing the grip of those powers on us and on our lives, and we call that bondage. So the way to break the power of those dark forces that we have, um, that we've invoked by worshiping these idols, is for sin to be punished and to be dealt with decisively. And Jesus dying for our sins releases the grip of the powers. And that is the central thing in the crucifixion. Okay, So he's, he's taking our place, but he's defeating the, the, the power of sin. Okay, so, so what do we actually mean then when we say that Jesus died for our sins or on our behalf. 
Interestingly, the, the very first night um, that I ever sat down with a minister uh, years ago when I was trying to sort out uh, what it meant to be a Christian, that was my burning question. Um, I'd been, I grew up in the Methodist church and not being critical of the Methodist church here, but I'd been hearing people say all my life, Jesus died to save us from our sins. But to my knowledge, I'd never heard anyone explain what that meant. Um, it was something Christians just said, but I just never really had heard it explained. Okay. And it seemed to me that if I was going to become a Christian, I ought to at least understand that. It seemed like a pretty basic thing, okay? So that was my first question uh, to a very, very godly um, minister named Sperry Hogue um, in the fall of 1990 in western Pennsylvania. And that discussion started me down the road that I'm still on today. So, so what does that mean, um, that Jesus died to save us from our sins? Well, the clearest passage in Paul about all this is Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Um, Paul says, um, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a powerful promise, a powerful declaration. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because, he says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Because God has done what the law couldn't do since it was weakened by the flesh, and by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as a sin offering, he condemned sin in the flesh. So what that says is that there is no condemnation on us as Christians because God passed the sentence of condemnation on sin. And notice it's interesting that Paul doesn't say that God condemned Jesus. He says God condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus. And that is an important distinction, I think. Okay, Now, there is a way of reading Romans um, chapter 7 and 8. Um, you know, we just read Romans 8, 1 through 4. We, we've got to see that in the, in the total context of Romans 7 and 8. And we can't unpack all that right now. But there is a way of, of reading those two chapters that says that God gave the law, and it's a very, very difficult passage to, to wrangle with and to, and to interpret and to exegete, okay? But God gave the law in order to draw sin onto the one place where it can be condemned. And that one place where it can be condemned is to Israel's representative, Jesus the Messiah, who is therefore the world's representative, okay? So Jesus dies as the representative substitute, taking the condemnation of sin on himself. But it is sin that is condemned, not Jesus, okay? And the result of all that is that we don't have to be in bondage anymore, which is why at the end of Romans chapter 8, Paul says, we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. And he said, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And so when Jesus goes to the cross, it is, it is definitely substitutionary atonement. He is taking our place. But that substitutionary atonement is in the service of God's larger agenda of defeating the powers of, of sin and darkness and death. Now, I've got an illustration that, that may help you with this, okay? I offer this illustration at great risk here, <laughs> right? So it's a movie illustration, and, and, and I, th I think it's kind of helpful, although I admit it is far from a perfect illustration, okay? No illustrations are perfect, okay? And I'm probably going to get hammered <laughs> from somebody for doing this, so, so don't read too much into this. And if this offends you, I'm I'm sorry, but this is the way this is the way my mind works. Okay. Okay. So now all that now that all my disclaimers are in place, <laughs> for those of you who like me, um, sometimes need a, a visual aid to kind of help us understand things. I want to use a scene. From and and you can see this in the book. You can you can see this in the movie, right? So whichever you you've partaken of, it works. But it is a scene from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two. <laughs> okay, um, I've got a friend who is a who is a drama professor, and Brendan, if you're listening to this, you're gonna love this. All right. Um, so in in this certainly flawed illustration, okay. Harry Potter represents Jesus, okay? And Voldemort represents sin and maybe Satan, okay? So you, you got that? You got where the, who the characters are and what they kind of represent? Okay. So in this scene, it's, it's toward the end of the movie or in the, the, this part of the book. Um, Harry, Harry Potter goes off into the Forbidden Forest to face Voldemort. And he knows when he walks in there that he's going to have to let Voldemort kill him. Okay? And when he walks into that clearing, Voldemort sees him and a wry little smile forms across his face because this is exactly what he has been waiting for. He is about to kill Harry Potter the boy who lived, something he has been dreaming about for a long, long, long time. Neither can live while the other survives, the prophecy said, okay? And as he raises his wand to launch the killing curse, Harry just stands there, doesn't move. He makes no attempt at all to defend himself. Voldemort speaks the words, launching that killing curse toward Harry, convinced that his enemy, his mortal enemy, once and for all, is about to be destroyed. But there is something Voldemort doesn't know. And that is that a piece of himself, a piece of Voldemort's own twisted soul, lies within Harry. Well, the, the, the curse is just explosive, all right? It's like a little atomic bomb going off there in the forest. And it knocks both Harry and Voldemort 
both to the ground. And when the dust settles and all is revealed, and, and it takes a good while for all that to happen in the movie, okay? Um, but when, when the dust settles and all is revealed, Voldemort has not, in fact, killed Harry Potter. Harry is sort of resurrected. And the only thing Voldemort has killed is a part of himself. And from that moment on in the story, while Voldemort is still alive and still able to wreak havoc, he is vulnerable and he is weakened and his end is certain. So I'm... I'm sure that that illustration falls down at one point or another, but I think the main points of that are intact. At the crucifixion, what ultimately has been condemned is sin, right? Satan thought he was getting the best of Jesus. He was doing away with the Son of God. But when the dust settled and all is revealed, Jesus is resurrected and it is Satan himself who has been dealt a death blow. Okay? So I think it's a good illustration. Jesus is raised from the dead, the enthroned king of Israel and of the world. Sin and Satan are still at work in the world, but they just don't have the power that they did. At least not for Christians. And their time is short, and their death and end is certain. And now that sin is condemned, new creation can begin. And the energy of the Spirit can now take hold. And we will, we will talk about the Spirit's work a bit next week. Okay. But far too often, folks, the, the, the gospel has, has only been presented as a, as a judicial verdict. Okay? You were guilty and now you went before the judge and now you're pardoned. And there's certainly a little bit of truth in that. But if that's all you see, you, you, you're not getting the whole story here. Because there's much more that has been changed. Jesus takes our sin and our shame in himself and he lets the light of God, which we call wrath, consume sin in the likeness of sinful flesh, so that it is forever dealt with. And now, when I live in Him, I am reconnected to God through what the cross accomplished. So, so it's not just that I get out a, get a, a, um, a get-out-of-hell-free card here, and I get to go to heaven when I die. Because the gospel is relational, and not just judicial, Right? What the cross was meant to do was reassert the relationship between you and God. Okay? God's goal all along was to draw people together into this beautiful community of love. Sin put up a barrier between God and man. That barrier had to be dealt with. If, God is, if God's dream, if his goal of bringing people to himself is going to be realized, 
he had to deal with that. And so he, he dealt with it the only way it could be dealt with. Because it couldn't be dealt with by us. So he dealt with it himself. Jesus gave his life to bring us together with the Father, to reassert that relationship between you and God. And that is exactly what God has wanted from before the world began. And with that, I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope, uh, again, you'll, you'll come back next week. Um, things are starting to warm up here in Middle Tennessee, about to get the garden planted. Um, it, things are good, and I hope that you're finding time um, for yourself and with God in all this, and uh, I hope that the Jesus Society podcast is a little part of that. So I hope to see you back um, uh, in the weeks ahead. Uh, we'd appreciate, as always, if you'll tell others about the podcast. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, uh, rate us and review us um, wherever you get your podcast: iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever that is. Um, but thanks for listening. I hope you have a great week, and I hope you'll be back. And remember, you are greatly loved.